Welcome to Conversations with Maggie Lenz. That's me. I'm your host, a photographer obsessed with helping women lead unapologetically. On this show, you will hear not only from me, but from other amazing women who inspire me and are making a difference in the community. What does that mean, leading unapologetically? To me, it's leading from a place of authenticity without apologies. In other words, not seeking approval for being yourself, what you care for, and value. My goal with this podcast is to inspire and help women develop powerful confidence in themselves and recognize the value we bring to the community and the world as a whole. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, entrepreneur, pursuing a career, or growing your business, we are here to build each other up. We are bilingual speakers and want to bring value to both the English and Spanish-speaking communities. Some shows will have a Spanish label when we have a Spanish-only speaking guest. Let's learn and grow together. Hello and welcome back to the show. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for tuning in. How do you feel when conversations about money comes up? Do you love it? Hate it? Do you tell yourself, I want financial freedom? But what is financial freedom anyway? For the mommies out there, are you in the mommy penalty box? Don't worry about it. If you don't know what that is, my guest today is Victoria Lowell. She's the founder of Empower Worth, a financial education platform that empowers women to become active participants in their own financial future and well-being. She uses her years of expertise in finance as an advisor, certified divorce financial analyst, and international best-selling author to educate the audience about the importance of personal finance, education, and financial planning. Trust me, this is an episode you do not want to miss. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, so honored to be here and to be a guest and to have this time to to chat and and, and uh, share with you. We're going to be talking about changing the way we think, act, and feel about money. But please, let's start by telling everyone about yourself and your story on financial empowerment. Hi, thank you. Um, so a little bit about myself. I am, I have to say, I'm the quintessential Cuban-American princess. <laughs> uh, I was raised, you know, in a very Hispanic environment where girls were really not ever brought up to think that I would deal with money, that I would, I mean, working was even a, a, a kind of a no-no really in, within my family. Like, no, you, you work, but then you're going to get married and have kids. And when you have kids, you'll stop working and your husband will take care of everything. And that was just going to be my life. It was, it was written. It was written like a Cinderella story. And well, a lot of that turned out to be true. I've been very lucky, knock on wood. Um, I've married a great husband. Uh, my husband's fantastic. We met in college. We had, um, he, you know, he has a very successful career. I gave up my career when we decided to have children, um, not because I wanted to, but because that was expected of me. And I really, mm. I think if I had listened to myself, I would have stayed working because I love to work. And then from there, we, you know, we, we, we lived the idyllic life. And I'm, up until 2008, I was living in Greenwich, Connecticut with a husband in finance. It's the American dream, two girls, white pickup pants. And the market just fell out from under us him being in finance. And I remember having an aha moment where it was like, I don't know what the mortgage is. 
I don't know what anything is. I go, and I have a business degree. I studied business. Um, I worked in human resources. How can I have got, have completely voluntarily abdicated all of this financial know-how to my husband and then realize that not only that, but I have put this burden on him, really, to manage everything and, and to see him in that moment where he was so stressed about his work, about our, our finances, about job security, because the market in 2008, you didn't know if you were going to keep it, you knew you were going to keep the job. Right. And I couldn't help him. I had been out of touch with the workforce for too long to be viable to work. And I had no idea what we needed to cover our, our nut. So uh, I leaned in. I, I said, this enough is enough. And I'm going to start leaning in. I went back to school, started re-educating myself on what I wanted to do and figuring out who I was and what that meant. Um, not the girl that everybody expected to be, but me. And I ended up working in finance, ended up working with my husband. I started off in the client service department for um, him and ended up becoming a junior advisor, a financial advisor, getting all my licenses. And in the process, I discovered that what I thought was a very unique story was not. What I discovered was that women, and it was, it was a horrible unifying thing to my gender, which was that regardless of whether what color you were, what religion you were, what ethnicity you were, we were all abdicating our financial power. We were willing, willingly giving up that decision-making to a partner. I was like, I can't believe this is this. How could I have done this? And, um, and how can other women be doing this? And how do I change the narrative? I, I had had a successful career at this point. And I said, I need to now do something that doesn't just make me money. It's always nice to make money, but I want to do something that has an impact. And I started Empowered Worth, my company. Um, because what I found time and time again was that women had a false narrative about money, a false narrative about their ability, and they lacked the education to be able to handle or feel comfortable, really, because they can handle it, feel comfortable handling those financial decisions. And that is where I um, leaned in again and said, I'm going to start this company and I created an educational platform um, that we offer for free as a membership where you can take courses and I started doing financial coaching and I started helping women who were transitioning to divorce. I, be, I got a certification as a financial advisor. Um, that's a divorce financial analyst certification. And that allows me to work with women during transitions in their lives. I work with women, not just divorcing, but at times widowing, who are having for the first time to face their financial um, decisions by themselves. I love listening to stories of women starting companies to make an impact. Congratulations on that. Now, in my case, I was raised by two powerful women, uh, my mom and my grandmother. Um, so really looking at the finances um, has always been part of me since I started working. And when I got married at 21, um, I've also, I'm the one who looks at the finances and make payments. So, um, but I find that a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs um, don't want to look at um, their finances. They don't want to deal with the, with the money side of, of the business. And that's pretty much what happened when I decided to go on my own um, for my photography business. Yeah, and that, is, that is my prototypical entrepreneur client. My prototypical entrepreneur client who comes to me is usually in a creative field 
she is a, a boss girl in her field, a, a badass, you know, and, and, but she doesn't know what her finances are for her business. Right. How can we shift our mindsets though? Um, well, let me go back a little. What would you say are the main blocks that women, especially women entrepreneurs and small business owners have around money? I think that the main block is just self-confidence. We are, we are, we are, um, dealing with a lot of programming that we have received about money. One of the first questions I ask a client when I'm coaching them is what is your first memory of money? For women, a lot of times that money question comes with power and power dynamics and power shifts. If you've always grown up in a situation where you're told um, a man will handle it or you're not good with numbers or STEM, I think there's been a lot of change in the way that STEM, STEM is taught in the United States, but it, it was a little late it wasn't quite like that when I was going through it and I'm in my forties that we realized that STEM needs to be taught that girls need to be empowered when it comes to numbers and math. Mm. So that is the first thing. That is the first block. Um, as with so many things with business growth, the biggest obstacle is yourself. And if we can start to get that confidence and we can start to instill that in women, then we can start seeing a change. Wow, that's awesome. So um, how can we shift our beliefs, though, of unworthiness around money? You know, I think it's a multi-layered approach for me, for what we do in Power of Worth. A little bit comes from, I believe, financial counseling. And everybody's mm -hmm. financial counseling. And the first thing I think is, oh, you're, you're talking about debt counseling. No. Financial coaching is not just debt counseling. That can be part of it. I'm also talking about sitting there and talking about how do you feel about money? How do you see money? Um, were you raised in a puritanical belief system where money is the root of all evil? Um, were you raised that money was something that was a power dynamic shift in your family? Was it held over your mother's head um, to get her to do things or to get you to do things? Is something, you know, I've had women who's, who, who to them money is something that men give them for being pretty. And for being their wives and being trophy wives. Mm -hmm. um, how, what do you think about money? Where is that belief coming from? Then there's the educational component. That's the second level, which is how do you feel comfortable with money? Um, do you feel comfortable knowing what a budget is? Do you know your numbers? Do you understand certain terms? And this is really important because this is something that, quite frankly, nationwide in the United States, I'm actually globally, we're just not teaching money. We're not teaching the, the, the science of money, of investing. So whether it's a, a man or a woman, a lot of times, you just don't know what these terms are. Turn on a CNBC, turn on an MSNBC, turn on a Bloomberg TV, and 90% of us are going to think that we're hearing gibberish. It could be it's something we just don't understand, but it's actually really not. And you just need to get familiar with the lingo. It's like any other, like when I, my husband flies the pilot and when he talks at times, he, he uses the alphabet and he uses like the app, it's like alpha, data, beta. Like, and I'm like, why do you say it like that? Because that's how pilots talk to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a lingo to finance. There's a lingo to podcasting. There's a lingo. Once you kind of get a little bit of that, that kind of, colloquialisms down and you get to know what those acronyms are, you're going to feel better. Like when you know, oh, LIBOR, what's LIBOR? I remember when I first, I thought it was a country and I was like, no. 
it's a rate of which money is. Oh, okay. I knew that now I feel much more empowered when I hear that term and I hear that they're talking about interest rates. I know what they're talking about now. So that's my second thing is education. And then my third layer, quite frankly, is sisterhood. My third layer is women supporting women, women talking about themselves in the workforce, talking about retirement planning, talking about if you're going to divorce, divorce planning and divorce um, financials, talking about negotiating better contracts, talking about what we make, talking about it and sharing those numbers. Why do, why do we have a pay in equity? Part of the reason that we have a pay in equity, quite frankly, is because we don't share with each other. If we knew what the man was making, we would be going into the office saying, wait a minute, I'm making 20 cents in the dollar. And then the guy sitting next to me, why is that? Right. And then we could fight it, but we don't talk about it. And why do people go back to level one? Because you've been taught that talking about money is bad. So that's my thing. Level step one, get rid of those, those, those shackles that you've been shackled with with your thoughts about money. Step two, get education. Step three, let's talk about money. Yeah, and I, I think that's why we have a lot of avo avoidance when it comes to money. Uh, but great points that you touched there. Like, um, we should start asking ourselves better questions, important questions. And sisterhood, I think, is is so important. Instead of comparing ourselves to lift each other up. And, um, you know, healthy competi competition is always good. But um, I think when we compare ourselves is when, when we go wrong. And also um, educating ourselves. You know, like when I started, like, um, investing, um, I thought of investing in financials in, in math terms. Like I will say, oh, I'm not good at math and this just gives me headaches. But I started learning, you know, um, the terms, like you said, and, and it's so, um, now it's fun for me. But educating yourself, you don't have to go back to school and get a, a business degree. We can go now and learn about money, um, like education sites, like, like, yours exactly and i wish more people understand and and this is like little things that women don't realize statistics i'm all about statistics if you go to my website to see statistics the lord read my blog they're in there um women make most of the consumer decisions 89 percent. i think it's actually got to be more than 89 at this point nine yes. something of all consumer decisions are made by women because we have our pulse on what the consumer is doing we have great insights into companies women knew what amazon was way before men did and started <laughs> buying the stock. Women are out there. We we know what the honest company is and we know what 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 Procter and Gamble's putting out and we know what's happening in our home and we know what the next fad is that teenagers want and because we are doing those purchases. If we could just take that and realize that makes us good investors because we have a kind of an economic indicator that we're looking at here. We are looking at what the gross product is. We're seeing it being bought in stores. We know what's going on. Then you realize that you you are really good at, at, what, at it. And women are also better statistically. We'll do better at investing than men will. When we do a gender comparison amongst us the portfolio, women do better. Uh, why? Because we are not on the golf course looking for the next big hit. We are willing to buy it. We know that we believe in that product because we use the product every day and we will stick with the product. So 
you have a lot of women out there who bought Amazon early and they have the ability to be able to say, I bought Amazon and we rolled it all the way to the top. Yeah, we don't give ourselves enough credits. <laughs> Let's talk about the mommy penalty box. I've never heard that term before until I spoke to you and I found it very interesting. So can you tell us what the mommy penalty box is? Yes. For me, the mommy penalty box is one of the most important things that we can talk about, um, especially um, post-COVID. It's one of, and we call it mommy, I wish we would call it caregiver penalty box. Um, It is when a person who chooses to lean out of their career because they are caretaking for someone. Um, Obviously, most people think maternity leave. Um, It could be paternity leave. Men take leave now too. It can be a decision to not go back to the workforce after you've had children to be a stay-at-home mom. It could be leaving the workforce to take care of an elderly parent, which a lot of a lot mm. of us are facing now. Right. When that happens, we face a penalty in our retirement savings because if you're not earning income, you can't save for retirement which is not true because if you're married, you can get a spousal IRA and there's other ways of savings. But we don't think about that. We're not getting the 401k matching if you're not working for a corporation because you're staying home raising children. The federal Mm -hmm. government isn't providing social security benefits. Even though you're doing the hardest job in the world, you're not getting those security um, segments for staying home with with Junior, which wouldn't that be great if they did that, but they don't. So that is the penalty box. The penalty box is that gap in retirement accumulation, retirement saving accumulation that you're not doing. The other gap, the one that we that we don't see as clearly as being on a financial um, a statement is the fact that there's years there where you're leaning out, which erode essentially your ability to come back into the workforce. Um, how will you do this? What about um, not just career track, but also, uh, kind of obsolescence is depending on what you studied um a lot of the jobs nowadays which are so tech heavy if you're not constantly in it you kind of become obsolete that happened to me a little bit that was out of the workforce for 10 years I didn't understand I didn't keep up with all the human resource laws and everything that was going on the way I did when I was working so those are the things that that put us in a penalty box it makes it really hard for us come out of the penalty box and hit the ground running and if we never do and we divorce all of a sudden we can't find employment and we don't have the retirement savings we need to discuss this because unfortunately with the gray divorce particularly which is happening right now in the united states divorce over 50 thank you bill and melinda gates for making this a hot topic um you have women who are divorcing and losing right off the bat from the divorce 40% of their annual income. 40% decrease from the divorce because the men was the majority breadwinner. You're not going to come up from a divorce and necessarily be living the same lifestyle you were living before. We need to discuss the fact that when we look at poverty in the United States, the people who are really suffering from poverty are women be it single moms and children or women over the age of 65 who are poverty level or below, or below. That's what's causing this. And that is something that we need to talk to our congressmen, talk to each other, talk to our employers, 
and figure out a way that we can start bridging this gap for women um, and making it better. I think that with COVID, a lot of women had to lean out of their careers, take care of children, homeschool kids. And we're seeing that they're saying that it's going to take 10 years before we are able to get back to where we were as women in the workforce um, from COVID 10 years. And it's, it's, it, it, it was like an earthquake um, for women. And I think we also need to talk about accommodations and why can't women, if I was able to do this, the job from Zoom before, why can't I do the job from Zoom now and stay home with my child? Right. Why? Why can't I do that? Why can't you allow me to maybe take a year's maternity leave? I'll take two months where I'm not working at all. But then the remaining, um, you know, nine months out of the year, I'm going to do virtually and maybe come into the office once or twice a week. Why right. can't we start working in becoming a more accommodating workforce? Wow, 40%. That's a little scary. But that's where you were saying about confidence and taking care of being educated um, when it comes to our finances, because we never know what tomorrow might bring. And 10 years, wow. 10, 10 years, and that's actually, I think a lot of people are saying are pretty, it's a pretty low estimate. A lot of women gave up their jobs and gave up their careers. A lot of people are rethinking things. Um, people are, I mean, you can just pick up a newspaper right now. You know that that there is a job um, that people, job, employers are looking for employees. They're looking for people who want to work. People don't want to go back to working in the way they were working before COVID. Um, so how are we going to accommodate them? And how are we going to get our workforce back up to where it was if people don't want to do this? And that's something that we need to discuss, particularly when it comes to women. Yeah, definitely. We need to keep the conversation going because back then, many years ago, we feared that if we even had a job after maternity leave, but now we have we have the technology to continue um, certain amount of time working from home if that's the decision that we make. What are your kid tips for financial freedom? And what is financial freedom anyway? Because I think there's a misconception about what that is that many stop from even trying to make a plan or set goals to become debt-free. It's funny that you asked this because um, I actually had a board once um, and I, it was from the launch of our company and we asked that question at our, at our launch. And we had hundreds of women there. We asked them to write on this beautiful board, what does financial freedom means to you? Financial freedom, everybody thinks, and, and, and there are the Dave Ramses in the world that push, it's like being debt-free. No, no. Financial freedom is not as easy as being debt-free. Financial freedom means something different from for every single person. It is not a two-word um, concept. It, financial freedom can be being debt-free. Financial freedom can mean having enough money to spend the time that I want to with my family. Um, financial freedom can mean getting out of a really bad relationship because I'm being abused. And that's what financial freedom means to me. It can mean a lot of things. How do we get there for women? What I'm telling you is when you are working, maximize your ability to save money. That doesn't mean pay off all your debt. It can 
if that's what you want to do, if that's what helps you sleep at night and financial freedom for you is that you want to be able to go to sleep at night, not being in debt, then that's what we do. But there is something, there's such a concept of good debt and there is bad debt. And we will, we, we, I teach people what that is and what that difference is. What I say is when you are working, lean in to saving. Lean into savings, lean into having that emergency fund, lean into making sure you have good retirement funds, lean into investing, lean into your money. That is how you will get to whatever it is that financial freedom means to you. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it means so much to so many different people. And it means, I think, I think financial freedom means different things to you at different times in your life. You know, when I was young, financial freedom to me meant that I could go into a boutique and buy an expensive purse. Now it means, <laughs> now it means that I can retire and not, and be able to sail off into the sunset with my husband. It changed. Right. So I don't, I am not, a, and, and, and I know that, that, that people who love Dave Ramsey, and I think he's fantastic, are going to be like up in arms, like, oh my God, how could she say this? It doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to mean being debt free. It doesn't mean, I believe that if you're paying a mortgage, um, yeah, pay it off as quickly as you can, but that's good debt because you're paying for your house and your and your mortgage and that will have equity. If you're paying for a credit card, that's bad debt and that we should take care of. But being debt free isn't the sum total of financial freedom. Yeah, and I think that's one of the last steps that he has on the on the money manager, paying your yeah. your mortgage. Yeah. The last, last thing to do. Thing. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And the for sure the credit cards are the the killers of of all. <laughs> yes. Now how, let, let's talk about a, a little bit about mindset. How can women, women in particular, shift their mindsets in business to go from the employee mentality to business owner mindset to manage your small business finances? Because there's a shift that needs to happen, and is, you're no longer an employee. You're now you're a business owner and you have to manage your cash flow. Otherwise, you have no business. <laughs> exactly. And let me tell you, this is hard for me too. And I have a background in finance. Um, it was really hard because I didn't have to manage my PL. I didn't have to manage all this when I was a financial advisor. There were very good, very smart accountants at UBS that did that. Um, but I have to do it now. And I think we suffer a little bit, all, all of us from imposter syndrome. And we're like, oh my God, now I'm a CEO. Uh, take it one step at a time. Um, start very, very quickly, just reminding yourself. And one of the things that has worked for me to shifting from employee to business owners, testimonials, Mm. testimonials. When I asked, and I was always ashamed to ask for them before, but now I ask for them. (laughs) Um, and, and I can never understand why. And I earned a testimonial. Um, I think that helps when people start telling you, you're really good at what you do and your go-to and, and you start feeling that, that kind of proud about yourself. You start feeling that sense of accountability and responsibility to that person that you're creating, that CEO that you're creating, that's, that you're hatching, that you're metamorphosing into. And I think that's really important. I think accountability is, is what changes it. It's when you can accept. It's like, when, how do you go from being a child to being an adult? It's the right. first time you're accountable for something, right? 
Um, I always say to people, I didn't, I don't think I ever really became an adult. My husband, he became an adult the first time he had a mortgage. The first time we bought something, <laughs> he had to sign all that paperwork. He goes, I became an adult that day. I, I had a mortgage. Um, I, for me, even though we had a mortgage, again, it was the housewife. For me, it was when I had the baby. I looked mm. down and I said, oh, I'm accountable to this person. I'm not an adult. I think when you, as a CEO, um, become accountable um, to yourself, to your business, to your brand, to your clients, then you feel, well, I need to get involved in this and I need to make sure that I am on the PLs and all this. And again, for business owners who don't feel comfortable doing this, hire a really good bookkeeper. Hire a really bookkeeper. When you're asking people to do all of their, their tax paperwork themselves, God, no, hire an accountant, hire a bookkeeper. But Make sure you meet with them. I, I always say we all do time blocking, big fan of time blocking. I have financial Fridays. And on Friday, I sit down and I look at my finances for my business. And I pay bills that they need to be paid. I make sure that money is transferred from accounts that need to be transferred so I can pay bills when I need to pay bills. Um, I do invoicing. You'll get people get invoiced from me. That's what happens. It's 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 financial Fridays. It's also follow-up Friday. So anybody who needs to follow up with um, gets follow-ups. But do that. Get to a day. And it's, it, look, I always say do it on Friday because you can reward yourself with a cocktail after, after you do it. But <laughs> I think that's how you make the change. Yeah, I think that was one of my, my biggest block when it came around uh, money. And when my mentor said... Um, that it wasn't for me wasn't like really valuing my craft as a photographer I thought you know like the cash wasn't coming in and because I wasn't valuing what I was doing for other people like I didn't see the value like I knew what I was doing was you know like I love doing this I can do it for free but that is not sustainable like I cannot pay my bills if I don't have a client and they don't pay me for my services. So it was more for the experience that I was giving uh, my clients. And, you know, I started like really valuing myself, my work and my industry. So, yeah, that for me, that was a big shift. Because I oh, think yeah. I had like I had the, the owner's mindset, even when I was working for <laughs> other companies that people will, will say, you're not the boss. <laughs> it's like. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of, but. And there are a lot of great employees that have the owner mindset. Um, but to me, there's so much involved in the mindset yes. of being the owner. And I love what you just talked about. The charging your worth is the main thing. Um, we, all, we all see it. You and I see it as CEOs of our businesses. When you see somebody who is, everything's discounted. We all get that email, special yes. discount. And I'm like, I've gotten 28 emails from you and everything's discounted. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's your price. Not the price that you're, that's your price. <laughs> and it's not, you know, until somebody tells you that upside the head, you don't realize it's yes. okay to say no, someone doesn't want to pay you. Okay. Yes. That wasn't your client. And you were not offering good services because sometimes it's us not really giving a value to the person. Uh, it's not, it's not always somebody else's fault. We have to be, like you said, accountable for what we're doing. 
and finances is oh for sure it's something that we have to take care of and i love what you said about the friday it's like i wait until tax season and then i'm going nuts waiting <laughs> but yeah. yeah i love that i i think i'm going to implement that on financial fridays like fa- flashback friday <laughs> i love it thank thanks so much for that tip okay. um now, let's talk a little bit about body image, because I think you cover something on, on, on worthiness on Envayer. So do you think that there's a link between how we run our finance, finances with how you, we think and see ourselves, the perceptions that we have with our bodies, with our beauty? And, and two questions in one I think I'm going to have. And what is your perception of beauty? Wow, my perception of beauty, I grew up in Miami, Florida, which probably has the most brutal perception of beauty on the planet. Um, you guys aren't seeing me, but I do have Botox and I do have fillers and I've had Botox since my 20s. Um, I think, look, the one thing I'm learning about, about beauty is that beauty is spirit. It's not about the skin. Um, there are people who I love and I don't and I think are beautiful. And I think that the vast majority of the world probably wouldn't think they're beautiful. Um, it's about how you make people feel. That is beauty. Um, now, that being said, we live in a very vain world. And we do have a correlation. I write about this in my book between our self-worth and our net worth. If you don't feel good about yourself, is it because maybe you feel like you're overweight? Or maybe you feel like you have imposter syndrome or whatever it may be. You are going to not embrace your worth. And because you cannot embrace your worth, you will not charge your worth. You will not keep your worth. You will not grow your worth. And that is true from an investment That is why we see people and we talk about the four money scripts in my book. Um, the four money scripts you see people who are money avoiders. And they, they don't want to touch their money it's because they don't feel that they, they're worthy of it a lot of times. They don't feel like that. We talk about the sudden, the sudden wealth phenomenon, people who get the lottery. Why do they squander all the money away? 90% of lottery winners don't have, or actually 90% of lottery winners, I think I read somewhere, somewhere and, and this may be wrong, but that they, they win the lottery and end up in debt within 10 years Even or five worse, years yeah. of winning the lottery. I'm <laughs> worried. Because they didn't think they deserved to win the lottery. Because it was a sudden wealth syndrome. Um, it's a lot of the same thing that happens to athletes. Why a lot of athletes go broke um, a lot of times. Not only is it knowledge and not having the financial wherewithal to um, kind of manage their money and, and control their spending, but it's also because they don't feel worthy. Mm. It came too easy to them. Um, mm. Too young, too easy. You see the same, I talked about money of orders, money worshipers, people who have no self-worth. So they spend all their money buying stuff to show the world, look how good I am. Look at my car, look at my house, look at my purse and my belt and all this because they are worshiping money because money is allowing people to, to make them worthy. That's what makes them worthy is all these material things, not a feeling inside. So yes, there is a a complete correlation. And if you don't think there is, then you need to read my book and you need, and you need to get in touch and take a deep dive into yourself. Yes. And I, and what's that, what was the name of your book? 
Empower Your Worth, A Woman's Guide to Self-Worth and Network. I love it. I'll put a link uh, on the show notes for anyone that wants to um, know more about the book. Um, and for myself too. That's I, I want to awesome. dig into Thank that. You. <laughs> now, this question is one of my favorite questions um, I ask in the show. Being unapologetically you to me means being true to who you are and what you believe in. In other words, staying, uh, seek, not seeking approval from others to blend in. Being authentically yourself, right? Is there anything that you are going to stop apologizing for or something you stopped apologizing for that helped you um, level up in your business? You know, in my business, it's funny because it wasn't something that I stopped doing in my business. It was something that I stopped doing with myself. Mm. I stopped apologizing for not meeting everybody's expectations. Mm. You can control what you expect of me. But I had people in my life up until very recently who are incredibly angry because I wouldn't, oh, you don't do this and you don't do this. And you don't do this. I said, well, you didn't give me the job description. How am I supposed to know that this is part of the job description? And this happens, I think, with friends and it happens with family members and it happens in business. If you can't tell me what is required of the job that you want me to do, then I am not sorry if I don't do the job. I need to know what the job description is so that I can accept the job. And maybe when I read the job description, I don't want that. And the other big thing for me that helps me live authentically me, and I say this a lot, um, in the Bible, there are many books. And in, in, in the world, there's a book, it's called the Book of Vicky. No one gets to write a chapter in this book but me. You can have your opinions of me, and we all know what the adage is about opinions. Um, but you don't have to write a chapter in this book. You don't get to put your, your beliefs and your feelings and your drama and, and issues on me and project them onto me and write a chapter in my book. No, no, I don't, know. I don't need you to write one. I don't need a co-writer. So that's one of my big things to living off. Let me make my own mistakes. Look, I don't apologize for things. If I do something wrong, because I'm an adult and I take accountability for myself and I apologize. But I'm not going to apologize because you had an expectation that I was going to be this type of sister, daughter, mother, niece, friend. And I didn't live up to that expectation. I didn't know what the expectations were. Right. So that's on you. You should have managed your expectations better. Yeah, that is so true. Communication is key. I love what you said about you know, the book of Vicky. <laughs> like the book of Ruth in the Bible. There's a book of Vicky and you don't get to write a chapter in it. Thank you. No. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for this wonderful eye-opening. And there was a lot of aha moments um, in, in the finances world that, that you were, yeah, new terms that I learned here uh, from you. And for sure, people need to go to your website and learn more. And we need to take care of our, fi of our finances, not only in business, but in our personal lives. And I know that I've struggled a lot with this. And in business and in life as well. Um, so if anybody wants to connect with you, where can they find you? 
Oh, the best place to find me is www.empoweredworth.com. That's www.empoweredworth.com. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being here. It's been a pleasure talking um, to you and having this conversation. And money is something that we do avoid a lot, but it's something that we need to take care of. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, it was such a great conversation. And uh, it, it, I just, I really just love this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and family and consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell us what you think on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Mayi Lens and on Facebook page Conversations with Mayi Lens. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Until next time, talk to you soon.